Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. I'm your host Eric Sue, and today we have Heaton Shah who's the founder of Crazy Egg Kiss Metrics, also at a consulting company and also has Hello Bar as well. Heaton, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? Doing well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. So Heaton, why don't you give us a little, uh, little bit about your background and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, um, in 2003, I started a consulting company doing online marketing, and uh, we realized really quickly that we wanted to try to build our own products. And so we started building products. Uh, a lot of them failed. I'd say we built almost a dozen. And uh, I like to say we got lucky with one of them called Crazy Egg, uh, which we launched publicly in 2005. Uh, and uh, it's basically a tool that uh, lets you create a heat map for where people are clicking on a page. So you can basically see where people click uh, and get more insights onto how to improve your website. Uh, from there, we decided to start working on a larger project uh, that was more of an analytics tool, uh, like with just more data and numbers and things like that. And that ended up being my uh, technically third company uh, called Kissmetrics. And that's the shirt I'm wearing today. <laughs> cool. So yeah, you know, how, how are things, I guess we could go, one question I have is, you know, Crazy Egg was bootstrapped, right? Yeah, I like to call it self-funded. Self-funded. Yeah. Okay, so Crazy Egg yeah. was self-funded, and then Kissmetric is, is venture-backed. So I guess, what's, what's the, what are the biggest differences? Yeah, I think um, the, the simplest way to think about this is uh, when you're self-funding, it's your own money, uh, and you generally want to make money sooner. Uh, make more money sooner is probably the right way to say it. Uh, with a, a funded business, you're basically, somebody's giving you money, to basically invest ahead of your revenue. Um, and so you're, the way you make your investments with your money, I think, can be slightly different. So you can take, you know, like in a self-funded business, if you're looking at the next three months and needing to make revenue and payroll and things like that, that that's probably what you're going to optimize for. While when, you, when someone's giving you money, you can do a lot more, uh, you know, things ahead of that revenue. So you might say, I, I'm going to have a 12-month outlook on the business in terms of how I spend money, but I don't need the money I put in today to come back to me you know, as soon, as early. So basically, someone else is taking owners, certain ownership over your company, some equity, for giving you money so you can spend ahead of your revenue. That's the simplest way I've uh, come up with to sort of explain the difference. Got it. Okay. So how many, and I'm not sure if you could talk about number of users, but how many users at Crazy Egg today and how many uh, Kiss Metrics? Yeah, we don't talk about those kind of numbers, but we're we're in you know, Crazy Eggs over tens of thousands and uh, in the hundreds of thousands, and then uh, Kissmetrics is in the thousands. Got it. Nice, cool. So let's talk about the the Kissmetrics blog. I mean, it's one of the top tier you know online marketing blogs. Uh, you know, how did you get it to become such a bit you know such a powerhouse? Yeah, um, uh, the story actually starts with Twitter for us. Um, what we actually did is we discovered that there's a hashtag on Twitter. It's, it's the measure hashtag. Uh, and that was at a time, I would say around 2009, 2010, when Twitter was uh, early. Uh, there was less users on it, but um, there was a lot more what you would call early adopters. And usually what happens with social media in general is the marketers end up getting there pretty fast. Uh, and so there's a lot of marketers using the hashtag measure to share articles about uh, online marketing and A-B testing and things that are of interest to them. And what we realized is that uh, instead of creating like content, more content, we would just share content on our Twitter stream uh, using the hashtag 
and that resulted in attention on our Twitter stream. And it was not until about 2010, so I would say six, six months to a year later, that we decided to spend time on our own blog. But well, by then, we had built a pretty substantial audience on Twitter, which made it so that when we tweeted something, we were essentially able to seed our own content with, with early traffic. Uh, and, and now, obviously, uh, the Twitter account is not as important to our business as the blog is, but the, the Twitter account was actually used in our case, to get the attention of our sort of prospective customers and, and, and the market and the industry. Got it. That's why you use that hashtag. All right. Cool. There you go. Yep. And so you've you know you've partnered up with with Neil Patel uh, you know on, on you know Crazy Egg and Kiss Magic. I mean you know how you know tell us about that story. I mean how did that work out and how did, how does it you know you go through you know a few businesses with the same business partner? Yeah. Uh, in our case. Uh, I've known him since he was 11 and I was 15. Uh, he's actually my brother-in-law uh, and uh, I was dating his sister back then and now she's my wife and we have kids and stuff. And so uh, I think the story he tells is that this was the guy that when I was 11, this is him telling the story, that would bring me Taco Bell. And, <laughs> and, and, and at the time, I don't think he knew this, but I actually like Del Taco better than Taco Bell. Um, but, but I guess I'm a nice guy or whatever, and, and, and you know he likes Taco Bell, so I just bring him Taco Bell. And I think I, I, I probably convinced him to become my co-founder eventually uh, with Taco Bell. But uh, anyways, uh, at least that's what I like to think. He doesn't actually eat it anymore, but he used to love it. Um, basically, uh, since then, uh, you know, obviously we knew each other, but it was not until I left college and he was about to leave high school that we decided to start our consulting company and he was barely out of high school. Uh, technically he was still in high school. He basically had one customer paying him 3500 bucks a month for an SEO contract doing SEO for them. It was actually a company called LPAC Electronics and he had met the, and this, this will tell you about Neil, he had met the person who helped us get that contract or helped him get that contract um, during a speech class that he was taking at a local community college. Uh, and uh, you know that's just the sort of lack of a better word, like the hustler he is. So he figured that he could do SEO for them because he'd already been trying to do it for himself for his own sites. Got it. Cool. So you know, having been through so many businesses with him, I mean, what are some challenges that you guys faced? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's always uh, interesting uh, when you're when you have um, somebody else you have to work with, uh, especially on the basis where you know at the end of the day you probably need to trust them. Uh, in a lot of areas uh, as much as you trust yourself. Um, so I'd, I'd say the, the biggest, I'm going to talk more about something everyone can learn from instead of my own unique experience. So there's this idea that, that when you have a co-founder, especially when it's two of you, let's say, um, there's this idea that I call uh, Batman and Robin-ing, so to speak, well, being Batman and Robin. So the idea is that on every project, every initiative, one of you is Batman, one of you is Robin. And uh, you know, in my case, most marketing things, uh, Neil will be uh, Batman and I'll just be Robin. There's been initiatives where I've been Batman as well. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But uh, And most like product, engineering, things like that, I'm usually uh, Batman and he's Robin, although there's been instances where that's been switched out. So I think, I think the way to think about it is, you know, who's, who's Batman, who's Robin on each project? Robin just backs up Batman. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Batman gets in trouble. Robin comes in, helps out. I mean, if you've watched the shows and the movies and stuff, you know, when Robin is involved, you basically get the sense of that's backup, right? And as a co-founder, you always want backup. 
uh, and backup that you can trust, right? And if you don't trust your co-founder, you better find a new one anyways. So, uh, you know, my advice to anybody is, can you come up with, you know, scenarios and, and, and tasks or projects or initiatives in the company where one of you is Batman, the other one's Robin. And again, you, I'm talking about in everything, right? Like mm -hmm. that's how it works because you always need feedback when you're doing things. And, you know, if you don't have a co-founder, then, you know, obviously you have advisors and other people that can help you in a similar manner, but you, you don't have a Robin really. You know, that, that's like literally someone that'll do the work if you're not able to or if you need help. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's, that's, that's the way I think about it. Beyond that, I think, you know, a lot of people try to think about like, you know, I'm going to have this co-founder on this company and do this thing. Uh, I think what's more important is, you know, is there, is, how do you figure for yourself and the other person, how do you figure out whether you actually trust each other? And, you know, doing experiments, doing projects together, figuring out whether you guys have the right amount of tension, you know, um, and not, not too much, not too little, and, and, and being able to actually figure out how to trust each other and make each other's ideas better. Uh, make what each other's doing better. Uh, th that's kind of what I would try to figure out as soon as possible. Got it. Okay, cool. And so, you know, obviously you read a lot of interesting things. I'm always looking at your Twitter stream and then look at your bookshelf in the back. So I, I think you, you wrote something on HubSpot where you talk about, uh, you know, how you find these things and how you read in general. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I think what I've noticed about the internet is that as as we've sort of you know grown up on the internet, the internet has matured, however you want to call it. What what we what we've seen is that information is actually cheap. It's inexpensive, inexpensive in the sense of it doesn't really take you much time to skim an article or read something. I think the hardest problem today is finding something of value. And so you know a lot of people ask me about like this question, and you know I never you know oddly enough I never became a a RSS reader fanatic. Like the fact that Google readers shut down doesn't affect my life. Um, so you know the way I think about it is, if you want to find content about something, you will go find content about it. You know, based on doing Google searches or going to very like curated sites, right? So some of my favorite sites, and this is a newer trend, would be things like GrowthHackers.com or GrowthHacker, I think, .com, uh, Inbound.org. Uh, Hacker News before that, you know, Y Combinator Hacker News, and now my new favorite, which is probably my number one favorite at this point because I'm a product person, is uh, ProductHunt.com mm. uh, by Ryan Hoover. And uh, what we're noticing is that basically all these things, uh, believe it or not, I, I think you're going to like this, uh, but when we launched Crazy Egg, we actually launched it on Dig. And we were number one on Dig for, for a while, uh, and we got a lot of signups that day and a lot of usage. And product hunt is basically that category of products, but it's like a dig for that, right? Or a Reddit for that, right. however you want to look at it. But we launched our product on dig, and this is why I have a lot of affinity towards product hunt, and I love what they're doing there. But, you know, what we're seeing is basically everything, uh, people used to go to dig to find stuff. Now they go to these five or 10 or 20 different sites that are more niche to find stuff. Um, and so to me, I think it, you don't have an excuse to find really good content in any category at this point, whether it's Google or finding these vertical curated sites. And I think there's going to be a lot more of them. I mean, another one I really like is uh, uh, Designer News. It's news.layervault.com. Mm -hmm. Layervault is like a designer tool, and they built this like hacker news thing. It's a really awesome site, but I also like design, right? And I'm sure there's other verticals where you see this. So to me, you know, my statement is just, you know, a lot of times, like someone will, it's funny, uh, people email me about advice, right? They'll ask me like a question or two or something. And nine times out of 10, I'm sending them a link 
to something that answers that question better than I can in one email, mm-hmm. right? And so I guess my high level thought is like, you don't have an excuse to go find the information you need and it's your job to figure out what's good and what's bad because there's so much of it around there. Mm-hmm. That being said, there's these sites that can help you just instantly find really good stuff all the time. Got it. And so with Twitter, I mean, do you follow like certain, do you curate certain lists of people that always share good information? Cause I find myself doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, I have multiple lists I use and, and some are for information. Others are friends of mine and things like that. You know, I, I, uh, you know, others are just people, whether I like to retweet them or, you know, whatever, that's another sort of category. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Twitter has really replaced a lot of the, again, I'll go back to dig. I think Twitter's replaced Dig for a lot of people. Uh, that being said, all these vertical sites are way more specific, uh, and Twitter's a stream, right? And it's all merged together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the lists really have been helpful. Like, if I wanted, you know, I actually built a ghetto version of like, you know, uh, the 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 cars category on Dig using lists on mm-hmm. Twitter. So, like, I can follow all the car blogs or whatever. You know, if you're into cars, you could do that. And I can just go to that list, and I can get my entertainment about all the cool cars coming out and stuff like that. You know, another thing is like now on Twitter, you know, images are such a big deal. And I think that people are really not utilizing them yet. But like if you go to Twitter.com and look at the stream with, and it's an image heavy account, it's way more engaging. It feels more like Facebook, feels more engaging than the normal Twitter stream with just text. So I think uh, we're, we're going to see more and more uh, content shared on Twitter like that. Got it. Okay. And, you know, you said Neil is more of the Batman on the marketing side and then you know, memory serves me correct. You're the, you're Batman on the product side. So how does someone yeah. become, you know, from coming out of college, become like a product manager or product oriented person? Yeah, um, that's probably one of the hardest hardest things to do. Uh, so that makes it one of the hardest questions to answer. I mean, the, the simplest way I can say it is like you you use products every day. There's probably things that you like and not like about them, but then you yourself, when you use a product and you like it. Just try to figure out why you like it. Figure out what makes it so awesome. Like right now, I have these very expensive headphones. I bought them a few days ago. I had the older version of these that didn't have this, but basically they're Bose headphones and they literally quiet everything. They're like, and they're like earbuds. They're not like the, uh, you know, the, the big heavy cans. And like, I'm raving about this as a product person because it just works. And everything about it is awesome from the way that they have a battery pack, but it's very small, you know, and, and it's not very, uh, cumbersome. Uh, so I, I guess this, the short, short answer to your question is like, just start appreciating good experiences in products that you use and things that you use. And you'll start probably getting a better affinity for being able to at least see something good mm-hmm. versus something bad. And then from there, it's like build your own shit. That's the best way because then you'll know from customers whether it sucks or not. And there's nothing, nothing like that signal or, or that feedback. Got it. Cool. And those are the earbuds you're wearing right now? Yeah, they're the QC twenty eyes from Bose. Yeah, they're 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 awesome. Uh, and and yeah, I can't recommend them enough. But they're very expensive. They're like three hundred bucks. So the trick there is go to Best Buy and buy their insurance for like thirty five bucks for two years. And if something goes wrong, you break it, whatever. They'll replace it. Cool, awesome. So um, you know, I know you talked about the twelve. You know, you've started twelve businesses and got lucky with Crazy Egg. So th- there's one that sticks out to me, which is the the hosting company. Can you can you share uh, with the audience kind of what happened there? Yeah, it, it was called Surf, and, and uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, we, we, we ended up trying to build a hosting company. I think this was back in 04, uh, 03, 04, 05, um, and yeah, it was all kinds of mistakes there, but I mean, the big gist of it is we spent about a million dollars of our own money 
uh, trying to build a company. We had our own kludgy data center outside of a house or inside of a house in Texas. Uh, it was just, yeah, it's a very bad idea. Uh, and, and I think we, we never got a single customer. Um, it, it was probably one of the key learnings that we had. We spent a lot of money on it. Also, believe it or not, at that time, I think uh, Neil would have been considered the product guy at that point because he knew everything about servers and switches and networking and all that stuff from knowing nothing about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't think either of us wants to remember those times and those days. Uh, but yeah, you, it was a very interesting time uh, uh, spending all that money just to sort of, you know, have it shut down. Uh, it was probably one of the hardest things in business that I've had to deal with of just uh, re waking up. One, literally, it was <laughs> as bad as it sounds, uh, it was literally waking up one day and realizing that we spent a million bucks and this thing wasn't going to go anywhere. Got it. So it sounds like a, a case of Ben Horowitz the struggle almost. So how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people like asking questions like that and I don't think they're bad questions, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, the thing I've come to learn is it, you know, how you deal with that depends on your personality. That, that's probably the shortest answer I have. I think if you ask Neil, he probably dealt with it in a different way than I did. Um, you know, uh, but like personally, like for me, I, I, I think that was the hardest thing that's happened to me in business, but personally, that's definitely not the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. So, you know, it was just yet another thing uh, on the journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think just remembering that, you know, any, any state that you're in currently, it, it is just another, um, it, it, it's just something short, you know, and like, like for example, you're asking me about it today and it was 10 years ago mm -hmm. at least I don't remember anything about it except what I told you mm -hmm. I mean there was so much happening I mean it was ridiculous we probably employed up to 10 people and all kinds of crap but like I don't remember a thing why so many things have happened since then right I forgot I forgot literally that's one of the things people can do I guess just forget about it that's right cool so, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I know you live, there's, there's a certain, you know, there's philosophies that you live by, one being the, one of the Zig Ziglar um, quotes. So, you know, what are some philosophies that you live by? Yeah, uh, I'll start with one that my, uh, Ryan Hoover actually from Product Hunt tweeted yesterday, uh, and it's something that I believe in. He just tweeted it because I think he's, you know, finally building his own product and, and getting these realizations himself. But he basically said something like, if something's working, do more of it. So I think a lot of people tend to look at the things that are not working or look at what more they can do outside of what they're already doing. So like to me, if I were when I usually give business advice in general, in anything almost, I'm just like, well, can you just tell me what's working? What are you good at? Like what's what's actually going on right now that you feel good about? Mm -hmm. And usually my answer to any problem is like, why don't you just do more of it? So for example, if someone comes to me and says, you know, I, I have you know a hundred customers, but I want a thousand. Right. My first question is going to be, how'd you get that hundred? And then, and then, and then they're like, oh, you know, I did this and I did that. I'm like, um, can you just do more of that? That'll probably get you another hundred more, right? right. You know, and you need a hundred, you need a hundred more to get to a thousand more. And so, so I think one philosophy is simple. It's like if something's working, just do more of it. And and that's something you need this constant reminder, I think, because it's hard to even know what's working a lot of the time without really thinking about it. Got it. And that's that's interesting. So I guess I'll play devil's advocate here. So you know, sure. the question I always ask here on this show is, you know, how do how did you get your first hundred customers? And always, always the answer is hand to hand combat, knocking on doors, things like that. So how does that, you know, it's been working, but how do you get to you know a million that way? 
Sure. So if you ask that question uh, to me, I'd tell you that I didn't do that to get my first 100 customers. Mm -hmm. uh, in every business that we've done that's been successful, we always had an email list that we built, which is now a common practice, mm. before, uh, you know, uh, before even doing the hand-to-hand -hand stuff. So what we would do is we'd put up a landing page, again, common practice now, and collect emails for that fantastic, awesome thing we're building. There's a whole site, which is another one I look at, called Beta List, mm. um, where it has betas, basically. I like early access as terminology better, but whatever. Um, and you go in there and you find all these sites where it's like pre-release, and you can put in your email and get notified when they launch. And, and again, it's common practice now, but you can get thousands of emails. I mean, for Crazy Egg, we had 20,000 emails, I think like 23,000 emails before we released the product with that tactic. So we didn't really do that hand-to-hand -hand, uh, thing, you know, that in-person one-to-one thing or whatever you want to call it to get our first 100 customers. Um, so what I would tell you is that like even, you know, just, just, to, just to answer your question, if someone tells you that they – if someone told me that, hey, my first 100 customers or whatever came from a lot of manual work, what I, what I would say is, can you describe to me what you actually did? And then what I would, what I would help them figure out is how do you, how do you scale that itself? Because a lot of times what you did to get those 100, if they love you and are staying with you, there's a lot of insights in what you can do to automate that or make it you know, easier to do or even hire someone else to do parts of that because there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Everyone wants everything automated and things like that, but at the end of the day, just figure out what you did and make it repeatable. Cool. Can't agree more. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things I noticed is that you and Neil are by far the, the most helpful people. You guys are always helping people for free, and, which is kind of how I met Neil in the first place. So, kind of, you know, what motivates you to do it and how does it help you personally? Yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, that's a, it's a good question um, and one that I get asked a lot. Uh, I want to give you a more thoughtful answer. Take your time. Yeah, 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 I know. Uh, I think both of us, <laughs> you're going to love this, I think it's a drug. <laughs> so just, just getting, you know, like that smile you have, right? Like if you help someone and, you know, uh, you know you've helped them and they come back to you and they say, hey, thank you for your help and they're smiling at you and they're like, dude, it helped my business, right? Yeah. That's, you get more joy out of that than probably sometimes success in your own business, you know? And so it's probably the best answer I have. No, that, that's true because you, you just, I just kind of got that, that fleeting drug feeling for a second, so <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a drug and, and you know, once you're hooked on it, it's done. Cool. See you in San Francisco next time. There um, you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, you guys trans you guys started with ACS, which is an online marketing company, and then you transitioned out of it, you know. Do you miss anything about the service business? Yeah, I think when you have a services business, you have this, this, this trust that you develop with the people you're talking to where they'll tell you everything about their business um, and, and it really helps you learn. Uh, when you have a product, I don't think it's hard to do that, but you're, you're thinking much more about having more customers and lots more of them. So it's harder to go deeper into any one customer's business. Mm -hmm. Well, as a services company, I think it's very easy to. So you know, I love learning. I love learning about other businesses and other people and how they think about the world and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. And so if I miss anything, it's that part of it, of just being able to dig in and really understand, you know, someone else's business and try to help them sort of think about it better. Got it. Cool. And why did you guys decide to move out of, you know, out of service into, uh, into products, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, for me personally, it had to do with something my dad told me a long time ago, which is, um, you know, uh, 
this idea of like not working for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have a services business and people are paying you for your service, not your product, mm-hmm. uh, so they're paying you for your time, you're, you're basically doing what I, have now, I am now referring to, um, trading your time for money. And so, you know, I think we wanted to get out of having to trade our time for money. For example, I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm-hmm. Money's being made on my behalf, right? Because mm-hmm. people are signing up for my products and, and they're paying for them. And when it comes to Crazy Egg, there's very few other people involved in making those people pay us, right? Mm-hmm. Or having those people pay us. Right. And like, that means I'm not trading my time for the money, right? So mm-hmm. I think in a services business, just like in a job, you're basically doing that. So if I, if I were to blame anybody or give anybody any feedback on that, I would just say that my dad is, is the reason I think like that because uh, he told me that at a very young age, right, right around the time when I was five, he kept telling me these kind of things. And he's not even an entrepreneur, uh, but he's very entrepreneurial. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I, 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 we, we both, Neil and I, realized that like, we don't want to trade our time for money. Got it. Perfect. And you know, what's, <clears throat> what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your, your 25-year-old self? Yeah, I was very, I was very, um, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm thinking, um, I, when I was 25, uh, I probably, I don't know, huh, I'm actually quite happy with my 25-year-old self, to be honest, uh, and, and what happened and what, what the outcome was. I think the only advice I would probably give myself is like, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think this is it, um. If, and this is me talking to my 25-year-old self, uh, if you think something's right, just don't let anyone get in your way. That's probably what I would say. Okay. Courage. Well, conviction is probably more accurate. Conviction is better, yes. Cool. And what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Yeah, this is a counterintuitive one. I manage my own schedule. And that goes to managing your time. Uh, I'm sorry, not managing your time, but... um, not trading your time for money. So I believe that um, time is the most, uh, uh, it's the only thing we don't get more of uh, Mm -hmm. in life. Uh, And so why would I want someone else dictating my time or managing my time on my calendar? So it's a productivity hack for me because um, for me, there's two things. I I live in email. So a lot of people resist email or think of email as a bad thing. I love email. Send me more email. I'm okay with that. you know, and I try to get back to as many people as I can. I do do heavy filtering so that you know people are that that I know are a higher priority in my email inbox. I use something called SaneBox. Mm-hmm. So my my number one productivity hack, to be honest, is SaneBox. I'll just say that that tool is amazing uh, for email. It's the best tool I've found in in my email. It keeps people I don't know yet, and also a, you know a, a marketing emails and junk out of my inbox even more than than Gmail's normal priority inbox and stuff like that. And it gives me a lot of control over over all of that. Uh, And then number two is just, I I manage my own calendar. That's been a productivity hack for me because I get to figure out when I have the free time to do stuff and when I have the time to go meet with people, phone calls, things like that. I like managing my own time. That's been a big one for me. Got it, cool. I think that's the second or third referral to SaneBox. So that's, you know, definitely everyone should go out and use it. I'm a user too. Actually, awesome. you, you tweeted about it, and that's why I'm a user of it. It's been three years, I think, so thanks for that. Anyway. Um, what's, uh, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? 
One must-read book. Oh, you got into books, huh? All right. Well, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, uh, and, and I really love them. And so I'm going to find one. So I'll give you more than one. So Ben Horowitz, uh, the Ben Horowitz book. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur or even working for one or in a company, is probably one of the best books. So that's uh, what is it? Hard things about hard things. Yep. Uh, so that's probably one of my biggest uh, recommendations. Uh, and then I'll give I'll give you at least one more. Uh... Is that on your phone right now? Yeah, I'm on my audio, uh, you know, an Audible. Audible, yeah. Yeah, I love Audible. I, I, I yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, mm. a lot of books suck. Um, let's see. I have one that that I think uh, people should read when they're sort of blocked. Uh, it's a very quick read. Uh, it's called The War of Art. The War by, of Art by by Stephen Pressfield. Really good, uh, and and the book is it's just about like it's basically a self motivational book more than anything else. But it's really just about how to overcome creativity blocks and stuff like that, uh, and, and and even like more importantly, identifying when you're in one of those blocks. It's probably the best book on the topic that I found. My my friend Patrick Blaskovitz actually recommended it to me, and I I can't help but recommend it to other people. Got it. Cool. So and there's another productivity hack I think. Uh, you know, you that that came from you. I mean, you you listen on Audible. You listen at one point five to two x, right? Uh, yeah, the most you can get is three x, and so I try to listen to everything three x. There's only one book. Uh, I don't remember the book exactly, but some some French guy that was actually a little difficult to do three x. I was at well one point five two x, but majority of audiobooks I listen to is three x. And when you do the math there, like I'll, I'll tell you real quick why, because I know you know you're asking, but you know I I, I have these books and. You know, there's like ones that are 10 hours and 16 hours and 7 hours and, you know, 23 hours. This is Ben Franklin's American Jeez. Life. Yeah. Uh, divide that by three. <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's how fast you can read it. So, I mean, in theory, if you have a one to two hour commute, you're reading, you know, in some of these cases, you can read a whole book in that amount of time. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I can't do that reading text. It's impossible. Totally. For Even me. with speed reading, not possible. That's right. Yep. That's correct. Cool. All right, so you know, Heaton, thanks so much for all the insight. Definitely want to have you on the show again sometime soon. But everyone, you know, this is Heaton from Crazy Egg and Kiss Metrics. Thanks, Heaton. Yeah, thank you.